Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it to thy courts above. Oh, may it be so, Lord. May it be so. Please be seated. My text this morning is from 1 Corinthians, and I'm reading the message translation of the Bible. I want you to hear what I'm saying, so I don't want language to get in the way. And so in this translation, Peterson writes, I want to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If foot said, I'm not elegant like hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body, would that make it so? If ear said, I'm not beautiful like eye, transparent and expressive, I, I don't deserve a place on the head, would you want to remove it from the body? If the body was all eye, how could it hear? If all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it's only because of what you are a part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and its own proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you? Or head telling foot, you're fired, your, your job has been phased out? As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's a part of your own body you're concerned with, it, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honority, just as it is, without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to a full-bodied hair? The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the same exuberance. You're Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. You're familiar with some of the parts that, that God has formed in his church, which is his body. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, healers, helpers, organizers, those who pray in tongues. But it's obvious by now, isn't it, that, that Christ's church is a complete body and not a gigantic, unidimensional part. It's not all apostle, not all prophet, not all miracle worker, not all healer, not all prayer in tongues, not all interpreter of tongues. And yet some of you keep competing for so-called important parts. But now I want to lay out a, a far better way for you. The word of the Lord. And if Paul's writing to us from 2,000 years ago, 
writing to us about the place that we are to play, the reason we've been created, and how it is that we're to interact with, with each other. And, and Lord, the folks 2,000 years ago are no different than us. Tend to think about themselves more self-centered than they are other-centered, more prone to hold back than to give forth. Come, Lord Jesus, help us to, to realize that, that you created us for a purpose and you brought us here for a purpose. And, and until we're living apart from that, we'll never know the joy that you created us to know. Come, Lord Jesus, speak to us from your word. In your name we do pray it. Amen and, and amen. Perhaps you've noticed that in my sermons, I invariably use the plural pronouns, us and we. I call them the pastoral program, pronouns. Pastoral because they allow my listeners to, to think that I'm talking about someone else whenever the sermon starts to get a little bit uncomfortable for them. But I can't speak in generalities about an individual's responsibilities in the body of Christ. And neither can I sugarcoat such a critical topic. So I ask you this morning to, to buckle up, dear ones because I need to speak to you. Now you need to understand that you has no specific name, gender, age, or background. I don't know who you is. In fact, only you knows who you is. And thus only you will know if the shoe fits. So with that in mind, let's, let's get going. After expressing a desire to become a member of, of this parish family, you met with me to begin our journey together. What you may not remember is that during our initial conversation, I made it a purpose to ask some variation of one particular question. The question is, what attracted you to want to join the Church of the Cross? Now, most of the responses fell into, into four areas. Some said the Holy Spirit is present here and the, this church is alive, and it is. Others said variations of this is a friendly church. The people, the people here seem to really care about each other, and they do. Others have commented on the fact that every time they come to worship, they, they see new faces, so obviously this is a growing church, and indeed it is. Others were struck by the church's financial stability. The fact that this church has the financial resources necessary to support a great variety of ministries, and it's true, God has blessed us. But on occasion, you subsequently voice the erroneous perception that the Church of the Cross is now so large that there's no need or place for anyone else to serve. Hearing that, I call it the lie that it is. But for some reason, that misperception persists. So today, I want to bury that lie forever with some straight talk rooted in God's Word. And as I mentioned, I'm using the message translation of the Scripture today so that, so that you can hear clearly what I want to say. Truth number one, you are not in this congregation of Christ's followers by accident. Before you were born, Christ had plans for you that included the Church of the Cross. And as a Christian, God's given you the gifts and talents needed to fulfill the purpose that he has for you in this congregation. St. Paul was on point when he wrote, 
The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. Now, I don't know what particular purpose God has in mind for you, but his word is clear. You have a vital role in maintaining the health of this church. And just as the human body needs every part fulfilling its purpose, if it is to thrive, so this congregation needs you. And this congregation's size does nothing to diminish that need. In fact, our size has multiplied our need to the level that now hundreds of folks are needed each and every day in leadership and fellowship. Truth number two, you are the body of Christ. You are the church of the cross. And if you intend to be a part of this church, you should, you should intend to do your part in this church. As St. Paul wrote, you're Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of the body does your part mean anything. Now, because of your tepid involvement, we're a church that's always relying on the efforts of a committed few to try to fill the gaps. But here's the thing. If a foot decides not to function, try as it may, an elbow can never really do that job. And thus, we're forced to limp along. Following St. Paul's analogy, each person in this congregation has a place to serve. You have a ministry on your part, on, you have a ministry to fulfill with your name on it that nobody else can properly fill. You have a place to know the joy of functioning as the part of the body of Christ that you were cr created to be. But you don't know that because you're not involved in the life and kingdom work of this congregation beyond attending a worship service when it's convenient. Truth number three. You're not really committed to Christ until you are available to Christ. You think this church exists to serve you. And consequently, you have no understanding of how critical your role is in keeping this body functioning properly. And tragically, you're not alone. As I figured, only about 25% of the adults in this congregation are truly committed and consistently available to use their time and talents for God's kingdom work. Only 25%. Let that sink in. Now, think about the amazing program of ministries that that 25% is sustaining. And then consider the difference for Christ this church could make if you and the other 75% of our body parts were consistently available and functioning at your God-honoring best. Now, I need to pause right here and tell you something. Most of the priests and, and pastors that I know would be ecstatic if they had the 25% level of participation that we have. But I'm not ecstatic, and I'll tell you why. I would be hard-pressed to identify another congregation that has before it the huge opportunity for spreading the gospel that God has placed before the Church of the Cross. And as I see it, with a God-given opportunity comes a God-given responsibility to act. And the time to act is now. Somewhere, sometime, 
you must make yourself available to Christ. And if you're unwilling to do so, you must accept the fact that you're only kidding yourself about the reality of your commitment to Christ. Over the decades, I've noticed that that many of the new members who are joining us on a weekly basis have been away from any kind of church activity for years. And and consequently, when they find their way to the Church of the Cross, they're hesitant to, to get involved. Perhaps they think that they don't have anything worthy to offer. Perhaps they're a bit ashamed of of being out of the body of Christ for so long. Perhaps they're feeling guilty, feeling guilty about some of the things they did while they were wandering hither and yon. Or perhaps being in a spirit-filled church like this is, is a whole new experience for them and they need some time to adjust. Or perhaps they've come to us wounded and, and hurting and they need some time to heal. Well, I can surely understand that reluctance to get involved for a little while from a new member. But you are not a new member. Truth number four. You consider yourself to be an active member of the body of Christ. But the truth is, you are missing in action. You're a foot content to let an elbow try to fill the gap that you alone were shaped to fill. And you know full well that the body is going to be forced to limp along without your participation. You've just received a a formal invitation from me to be involved in the life and work of the church next year. In previous years, you give my letter a cursory look and and then you pitched it in the trash can, saying, in essence, I want to count on the church because I'm a person of faith, but I don't want the church to count on me because I'm not willing to put my faith into action. Please hear what the Apostle James said to the believers who thought that way in the first century. He said, dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words, but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? Isn't it obvious that God's talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. Nonsense. Now, it's obvious to me that James must have been a Christian gentleman because there are a lot of other words that he could have chosen to use instead of nonsense. But he chose nonsense, and so I'll stick with that to make my point this morning. It's nonsense to think that that the God who gave you life expects you to always and everywhere be thinking only about yourself. It's nonsense to think that the God who gave you a unique combination of talents and experiences and passions did so with no expectation that you would use them in ways that would honor him. It's nonsense to think that the God who brought you to the Church of the Cross did so simply so that you could be blessed with no expectation that you would be a blessing to the church. It's nonsense to think that the God who loves you wants you to waste your life being a taker and to die never knowing the joy of having given yourself to a higher purpose. It's nonsense. I said earlier that if you're not available to Christ, you're only kidding yourself about the reality of your commitment to Christ. I want to expand on that thought by 
by sharing a bit of a true story that I recently gleaned from my, from my readings. Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf was a German nobleman who was born into a powerful and privileged family in the early part of the 18th century. But unlike the aristocracy of his day, during his adult years, he spent his wealth down to practically zero doing good deeds, pouring himself out for others. The question is, what happened that so radically changed his self-serving approach to life? The answer is as simple as it is profound. As a young man of 19, his family sent him to visit the capital cities of Europe to complete his education. One day, he found himself in the art gallery of Dusseldorf, gazing at Domenico Fetti's portrait of Jesus wearing a crown of thorns. The image of the suffering Lord so touched Zinzendorf's heart and soul that it transformed his life. Beneath the painting, the artist had penned an inscription in German, words that Jesus might say to any one of us, all this I did for thee, what doest thou for me? Truth number five. When you really understand why Jesus died for you, when you really understand the cross, your motivation for serving the church will change dramatically. No longer will you be serving out of a response to some kind of nagging feeling that, that you're obligated to do your part in the church. Instead, you'll be motivated to do for his church by a desire to, most, to more closely resemble the one who did so much for you. And that shift in motivation will change your life. Dear ones, God has blessed you with so much. And he asks only that you thank him by being more like him. Hear that again. God has blessed you with so much. And he asks only that you thank him by being more like him. To that end, you received that letter from me. Detail in different ways that you can evidence your gratitude by supporting God's kingdom building work in and through the parish next year. I'm inviting you and your brothers and sisters in Christ to celebrate Thanksgiving next Sunday, right here, by placing your response on the altar. In the middle of the service, everything will stop and you'll be invited to come up and put your response on the altar. You're gonna do it yourself because it's between you and the Lord. It's personal. Truth number six. As you make your personal response, you will in essence be saying, Lord, regardless of what I say or do, this is what I think of you. And may I add, should you choose not to make a response, you'll be saying exactly the same thing. Lord, regardless of what I say or do, this is what I think of you. God asks only that you do your part so that when you stand before him on the judgment day to give an accounting of, of how you used what he's given to you, you'll have the joy of hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness.
as always, you are in my prayers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, you shower your blessings upon us. But we're just, we're just caught up in, in a world that we've created and others have thrust upon us and in which we see ourselves as being the center of all of it. And the more we have, the more we want. And Lord, forgive us. Turn our hearts inside out. That instead of thinking about ourselves, we'll be thinking about others. Turn our lives upside down. So we want to humble ourselves as you humbled yourself. Here for a season. Now above. We're here for a season. By God's grace, we'll soon be above. And Lord, one day we'll see each other face to face. May we not want to hide our faces when that time comes. May we not be ashamed of of who we have not been in our efforts to resemble you. In your name we do pray it, Lord. Amen and, and amen.